Good morning and welcome to the Chef Pod. My name is Wendy Ma. And I'm Jason Innes, and we're sowing the seeds for the future of the culinary industry. So today what we uh, we have a conversation where we're going to talk about the future of kitchens. And so we have our special guest, Montgomery Pryor, who is our Procurement Culinary Lab and Equipment Specialist Technologist here at George Brown College, as well as Jordan Randall, a current student of our Honours Bachelor of Commerce Culinary Management Program. So welcome both. Thanks so much for joining us on this interesting topic. We hear a lot of discussion about what the future looks like and technology. And uh, we both want to say thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to come and, and, and chat with us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. And thank you. It's a pleasure to spend some time with you guys and chat about it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. So, Jordan, you're a first-year student in the George Brown Culinary Degree Program. What what makes you interested in in technology in the future? Well, I've always been interested in, I think, the, the fine dining side of the culinary industry. And so they obviously tend to use a lot of the cutting-edge kind of uh, technology these days. They have a lot of money to play around with, so they're generally working with that kind of stuff. Uh, I've always found that really interesting. Uh, also, my last job got to work heavily with some fermentation techniques, which is something I think is a big kind of indicator of what direction we're going in the future as well, as far as kind of paying homage to traditional techniques while kind of just streamlining them for the future. is a really interesting prospect to me. That's great. And Monty, you procure uh, most of the equipment for, for George Brown College and, and the chef school. And so you must have, uh, you must see a lot of interesting trends and, and new gadgets that are that are going to be great for the culinary industry. Yeah, I do. I see um, a lot of um, things that are going on outside the building as well as inside and what our future is looking like in the building um, with kitchens and equipment and, and techniques. Um, but yeah, I mean, I go to shows and I'm always uh, up to date with other chefs and colleagues and, so what's what's interesting right now? What what are we seeing in the culinary industry right now that's very that's very new or unique or different? Um, technology is is one of the biggest uh, that we see with uh, everything uh, computerized, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth uh, capabilities, um, things that uh, can do everything in one machine, such as. Uh, freezing, proofing, baking, free back to freezing again, roasting, smoking, and then it's all in the one machine. Mm-hmm. And are, are, do you think that's what, what the kitchen of the future is going to look like? Multiple machines able to do multiple tasks at once? Yeah, just because of uh, space is, is, is limited in all over the world and it's getting limited in, in North America as well. So we're kind of adapting what they're um, pressures they're dealing with in smaller areas. So it's um, it's something that uh, is almost a big push for smaller, tighter, uh, more efficient running kitchens, even right down to the how much water is being consumed, how much electricity is being consumed, because it's it, everything's about budget. And from a sustainable standpoint, it's it's quite good that we're taking these these things into consideration, especially when we talk about design as being as being one of the things that that's important for the for the future of, of kitchens, making things extremely efficient and using very very little play uh, space, right? Yeah, space and time for everybody. 
Yeah. So Jordan, you were, you talked a little bit about fermentation. Um, fermentation is a preservation technique. Can you talk a little bit about what, uh, what you, what you like about fermentation or what, why you're interested in it? I think for me, what originally attracted me to it was the kind of new realm of flavors you're able to get from seemingly basic products. Uh, and then kind of seeing how kind of clever you can be in utilizing the byproducts of fermentation on the side. So I mean, you do things like using, uh, like the brines in vinaigrettes and things like that. So you, I find that's a really interesting way to stretch the most life out of a product that you can. And you can really kind of tap into a lot of these like big umami flavors and big savory kind of unexpected flavors that people don't generally see coming, which I've found really interesting. Wow. And Monty, from that perspective, are you seeing any any equipment in uh, in the future right now, which sort of touches on the preservation of food? Um. It's still uh, sticking to old rules of, with fermentation, but there is some new techniques with um, like um, containers and so on with burping lids and new jars, mason jars and stuff with burping lids. And that is one of the things that uh, is, um, it is improving on, on that uh, fermentation area. Also like freeze drying, um, it, it's becoming a big thing to use up your waste, freeze dry the product, use it and down the road, you don't have to refrigerate it, you don't have to freeze it. Um, if it's packaged properly, it'll last for 20, 25 years. I mean, you can literally take a steak, raw steak, freeze dry it, package it, and then years later, bring it out and still serve it as a brand new steak. Um, you can do fruits, vegetables, uh, candies, um, pastries are using it a lot for incorporating it in with their chocolates to get that dry flavor. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that's really, um, forward thinking for the future cooking. So a freeze dryer, what is, what is it? What's a freeze dryer? Can we just do that in our freezer at home? No. Um, what happens with a freeze dryer? It goes down to minus 40 below. And it's three elements. It's your freezer, your vacuum, 100% vacuum, and then a small amount of heat put into uh, the trays. And that over 24-hour period, will you'll get a dry product that you can store and use um, for quite a long time, longer than anything. Like if you're using uh, a dehydrator, Dehydrators tend to, to absorb a lot of the flavor out of the product, where a freeze dryer locks it in, the color's locked in, and uh, the product looks uh, substantially better. You ever get a chance to play with some of these equipment or machines? Have you freeze dried anything? Oh, lots. We've Whoa. been doing it for like two years now. What are you freeze drying? Some of the fun things. I have done everything from raw liver to uh, Skittles to cake to sandwiches, to um, fruits. Um, what was the most interesting texture or, or thing that happened in your freeze dry? Skittles sounds pretty Skittles fun. was cool. They, they pop open and all the colors within the Skittle comes out. So you have this multicolored Skittle. Uh, it's great for garnishing for desserts and so on because it, it looks strange, <clears throat> something that you've never seen before. The funniest product that I freeze dried was um, like, one was ice cream and you put it in your mouth and you literally let it absorb in your mouth and it tastes like you're eating ice cream again. Mm -hmm. uh, another one was 
habanero, we turned it to a powder. When you put habanero on your tongue, it doesn't taste like anything. It just tastes like a bit of a pepper. But then when it starts to melt in your mouth, it just like a rocket just went off and, uh, <laughs> and explodes. My, my, of, my, of my kind of taste sensation. <laughs> and it's like maybe a couple minutes later, that's when you start to get that heat. Wow. So it's unique. So originally developed um, by NASA, I, I, I assume, or do we Yeah, know? NASA was one of the one first ones to start using it. Uh, uh, I'm not sure the history exactly who started it first, but... Um, I know NASA was one of the ones and still are that uh, that's how they brought their product up to space and got to, to eat a balanced meal. I mean, I definitely thought freeze-dried food was space food because that was the only reason I went to the Space and Science Center when I was young <laughs> was at the souvenir shop. Yes. I would get yeah. a freeze-dried ice cream sandwich. Yeah. Uh, so, But I mean, we say this and it refers to future right away and we think space design and, and now we're talking about the future of kitchen designs and freeze dried is another innovation that we're going to be practicing but this is something even with fermentation that i could would say actually starts with a longer history than that and it actually brings us back to our original kitchens and our original acts of preservation there's the incan culture where the just from the elevation of their mountains they naturally freeze dried all their food and that's how they preserved their potatoes that's how they kept their food because of how hot it was during the day and how fast and quick the temperature dropped below freezing within the sun setting, that their food naturally dried and then was frozen at a state that was preserved. And then moving forward with fermentation, I mean, every culture that we think about, their drinking beverage that sustained them was a fermented produce of some sort. So, you know, we talk about moving forward, but really what we're looking at is honoring the past by moving forward. Very true. And when we look at um, the Restaurant Canada's 2019 Chef's Survey, um, number 10 on the, the, the top things that were surveyed, pickling. All right. So very, very yeah. interesting. And we're, we're hoping to get Rebecca from Alchemy Pickle Company yes. to come in. Hopefully a little plug there, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's busy canning season right now, but it'd be great, great to have a chat with you. Um, so we're, we're talking about past, we're talking about technology, we're talking about the future. Monty, you also mentioned digitalization, you mentioned Bluetooth um, capabilities. What are we seeing in, in the future with that? Are we looking at ovens that are controlled by, by our phones, by smartphones? Yeah, a lot of the ovens, the, the newer ovens that are coming out now, you can already control it from your phone at home, um, on, on the go. Um, you literally can watch the entire process of your product um, working and stop it, start it, um, and then it's it's already been probed, so you know the exact temperature that it's being uh, cooked at. Uh, Bluetooth, um, I feel that um, it, it's something that's really going to be uh, one of the future things in kitchens, similar to, um, like, with the voice-activated um, units that you you have in your homes at the moment. So you're talking like Alexa and what else? Uh, Google Assist, like these sort of these sort of AI yes. technologies yeah. that you're, you're, you yeah. speak into and they respond. Hmm. That's. Uh... I mean, to me, that's again moving towards efficiency and minimizing food waste because we have everything regulated and standardized. I assume by being able to program this type of 
a Bluetooth or machine to help us or assist us in a kitchen. But then what I'm seeing an elimination of is one main component in a kitchen usually, which is the chef mm-hmm. or the cook. Um, where do we see them stand in the design of the future kitchen? That's, a, that's a great question. What does what? Do, where do we stand in yeah. the in the kitchen of the future? We we haven't we haven't touched on robotics yet, mm-hmm. um, but there are there are companies that are producing uh, that are producing robots who are who are designed directly yeah. for for cooking food. Um, I know Daniel Balud has has partnered with uh, Spice. This is a company in yeah. New York to create a restaurant. Um, that's that's based on that's based on on robots pre- creating your creating your food for you. And so, you're not even being served by somebody because you're going up to a machine to order the food at this spice uh, restaurant mm-hmm. concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jordan, what do you think? You're haven't graduated yet from your culinary program. <laughs> yeah, into this industry, <laughs> it's a little worrisome topic. Um, I think you're going to find a big divide and I think how the kitchens go forward. So you're going to have the super kind of efficient fast food sustenance style dining, which is probably going to have a lot less of a human input in the future. And then you're going to have the experience focused side of things where you're going to end up. I still think having a chef leading, uh, you're going to have lots of cooks in the kitchen. You need that kind of uh, quick reaction ability, that ability to, to kind of assess social situations is really important. I think so. I think you'll see kind of an environment where it's robotic assisted cooking at the higher end of things, but still a lot of human input is going to be necessary, especially just to react with the the ingredients changing. I mean, higher end restaurants tend to have a much less static menu. You know, McDonald's has kind of had the same menu for years. So that's a pretty easy thing to automate. But when you're trying to do a different 12 course tasting menu every day, you know, do you have a robot or are we going to have one in the near future that's going to be programmable enough to be able to adjust? to this change of ingredients constantly and this change of flow in the, in the dining service? Well, we talk about the human element here um, and re- the removal of the human element. And two things I'd like to, to discuss on that one is cost. So we talk about robotics. We see robotic arms reaching down and cooking, um, cooking meals for us. Um, Monty, you're talking about freeze dryers. And we're talking about programmable ovens like Rationale and Combis, which can range anywhere from five to $40,000. What's the cost of a freeze dryer? Cost of a standard freeze dryer today um, that is countertop is about five thousand dollars wow. to um, to to put one on your counter. Um, but what I mean, was it three years ago? Three years ago, it was a smaller unit at about the same price. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at a refrigerator or freezer, they're almost around the same price. Um, so it's just another tool. Uh, you look at a RoboCoop or or some other tool that you need in a kitchen, and you know they're up around the two thousand range. I mean, it all depends on what application you're doing in the kitchen, and will you really need this tool, and will you be using it? Interesting. So we we look back to nineteen forty six when Raython created the first microwave oven. Not ready for commercial produce or production until 1967. Anybody want to guess what the cost was in 1967 for a microwave? This revolutionary tool that's going to cut your kitchen cooking time in half. Um, two thousand. Two thousand, Jordan. Six fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so back then, about four hundred ninety-five dollars, right? Wow. In in 1967, yeah. but you know, add to inflation, that's about thirty-two hundred mm-hmm. in today's in today's money. So, um, you know, uh, so freeze dryer not not too far off. 
Um, back to the human element, though. Um, is it possible that the kitchens of the future are going to replace the cooks and the chefs? Well, I mean, if we're going to bring up cost and flow through into this one, human capital is also a cost. And as Jordan mentioned, maybe we might move a little bit more robotic towards the more standardized fast food, quick sustenance type restaurants. But as we move to a higher end and you require more cooks, you will also require more costs in a restaurant industry. And we know that sustainability is also about being able to sustain profit. Um, so I think outside of that, robotics and from the base of just a freeze dryer, robotics are not going to cost 5000 for an entire package deal. I think it'll be a, a large investment mm -hmm. and then maintenance and upgrading and continuous change in progress. So it doesn't seem something immediately feasible, but who knows? I mean, under 20 years, a microwave became a household standard is what you're saying. So we can't really presume that. But outside of costs, experience was the word that Jordan used. And food is a tangible experience that must be um, felt with all five senses. And as much as we can program, maybe in the future, a computer to be able to adapt to all of these senses, I don't think we can ever remove the human element. What do you think, Monty? Um, you're absolutely right. Like, there's there's so many things that um, uh, involve that. Like, you, you're always going to need that human touch no matter what you're going to have that have that professional chef uh physically designing the plate creating the plate touching everything tasting everything um if we have robotics in kitchens we're still going to need test kitchens and the chef will still be doing that a robotic will not be doing that and then program it into it because a, a a robot is just another computer with arms and yeah. legs and or whatever um, so it, it still needs that human influence um, with with uh, what I was talking about with um, Wi-Fi and uh, voice command and so on. I mean, you could do your ordering. You could have you know when your deliveries are coming. You could um, know when all your orders are coming up. Everything like one screen. You pull up your recipe on a big screen. You say, I need my my cake recipe. Um, number four, you know, and then it pulls it up and you bake your cake. You don't have to actually pull your phone out. You don't have to have paper on the, the counters. It's just, it's there. It's ready. It's instant. So it is actually, it makes it easier for us. I mean, it's cleaner, more sanitary, more efficient for the cook. Absolutely. I, li I like the sanitary side of it. Yeah. Every time I see a cook pull out a phone in a, in a kitchen Ugh. and start scrolling through recipes, I wonder where's that phone been? Mm -hmm. What dirty are they? Yeah. Too. Dirty binders oh, as well too. I mean, we talked, Wendy, we've talked about this before, having our dog-eared cookbooks with, yes. with, 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 with sauce, sauce stained on them. Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, that's, that's heritage right there. But yeah, the cleanliness, not, not so much. Um, and you have, you have refrigerators now that are telling, that are telling customers or consumers when, when their eggs are expiring, when their milk is getting old and sending it right to your smartphone. It's yeah. time to order milk, time to, mm -hmm. time to pick up some mm -hmm. eggs. But is that going to take away from the human connection with food knowledge? I think it is. Yeah. We were already relying so much on modern machines and the tap of the Google to give us answers that I feel like we are already at a point where humans are disconnected. 
Um, most people think you can eat a proper meal just from swiping your phone and ordering food, and 40 <laughs> minutes later, something shows up. Yeah. yeah. As a college student, I can attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think one of the other concerning things that I see in these fridges that let you know when your food is bad is that you know, a lot of people don't really realize that these, these store-labeled expiry dates aren't always fact a lot of them are just law required so a lot of food will last past your best before date past your expiry date i mean i'm sure everyone's had a, a some milk that you know technically should be expired by the date but it still lasts a, we a smelled it longer. first <laughs> yeah right you know you, you got it so that like you said the connection with the food you're having so i think if you, you might kind of have an adverse effect on sustainability if you end up getting these these technologies that are telling people to throw their food out Maybe when it's not necessary and you're going to have people going through, maybe it will convince people to buy less food, but I am more worried that it will increase waste for a little while. Because so will be less I like your critical food. thinking skills there, Jordan. Yeah. I can I can definitely see room for large industries to sort of increase their increase yeah. their pro, pro, profit margins by reminding people, oh, time to buy yeah. more. Right. It's um, obsoleteism at best. You know? Yeah. Easy with food. I, important to remember as well, too, that there is a difference between expiry dates and best before dates. Oh, yeah. Of so best before yeah. dates are, are a suggestion doesn't actually mean that the food is bad or is going off but another topic for another time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you can get a whole podcast out of that I think. yeah moly.com has created the the first completely robotic kitchen what Molly, does that Molly. look like well it, imagine your stovetop and two robotic arms coming down from the hood <laughs> and cooking and mixing and spicing you, 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 just like you say, Monty, you put, um, you, you know, you, you, you touch your, your recipe pad and it tells you when your recipe is ready and it, you tell them how much you want and they make the food for Brings you. Bring so. me back to the future when that pizza came down from the planter. Yeah. Family. <laughs> so back to the human element, um, Forbes released a, Forbes published a, an article last year, four steps to future proof your career. Number one, become tech fluent. Mm. Right. Make sure you're, you're make sure you're you're on top of that. Number two, get ready for lifelong learning. So yes. don't be stagnant. Go back to school. There's a plug right there for GBC. <laughs> continuing <laughs> education. GBC. Continue to learn. Things are always changing. That's right. That's yeah. True. yeah. Accept change as a new normal. Mm. Right. I like so that. Behavior changing. Yeah. yeah. Even though we embrace disruption and change, humans do not function well in unstable positions. So we need to take that into account. And I think this one is the most important one, the last one, number four. Hone your unique human skills. So mm. AI, robots, machinery, they don't have human empathy yet. They don't have that ability, high emotional EQ, to be able to recognize emotions in people and to, to recognize different scenarios. Absolutely. So I don't see the concept of AI and robotics and tech overtaking the human element just yet. I think what we're talking about, we're seeing a lot of awesome tools that are really designed to make life more, as we say, efficient, create less waste. And But I, um, I do think in order for us to move forward with that, I do agree with that. Education is definitely going to have to see a shift in our direction. Like you said, if we're going to hold on to our human component, we're now going to have to refocus education on soft skills, where we spent so much time teaching hard skills, which seems to be one day replaced by robots, then the stuff that we naturally spent time developing growing up was our soft skills, our interaction with other humans, our empathy, our EQ. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to have to switch in order for us to maintain relationships with food and people 
while the robots take over our hard skills, <laughs> um, we are going to have to re revamp our education system, but also thinking about uh, efficiency and knowledge on food and how yeah, I'm sorry, I, AI is actually helping us do that. We, I like to go back to the past. I guess I'm one of those historians or um, take pride in our culture. But I mean, I have a, an acquaintance that lives in Italy. She's a Korean woman named Ji Hyun Ryu. She's actually a designer and has a project on preservation of food, combining ethnographic knowledge for objects in the home. So what she actually does is save food from the fridge is her main philosophy. She draws knowledge from food again and realizing that we don't actually need technology to subsist. In her kitchen, she looks at the actual item and produce and the actual chemicals that expels from it as it decomposes or begins its decomposition and realizes if you pair certain produce together, they have a symbiotic relationship naturally, as I would assume and the environment or mother nature had planned it all along. So she'll simply build a box where her potatoes are stored just an inch below apples. And just from sitting those outside of the sun in this box, away from a fridge, away from technology, they actually last all winter long. And so for me, we say we need this technology to preserve our food, to minimize food waste, to make things more efficient. But it looks like if we go to the past, we might still be able to do just that. And the first three things we mentioned were fermentation and mm -hmm. moving to the past again, freeze drying. So Great for young chefs to understand the difference between climacteric fruit and non-climacteric fruit. Fruit that are, you didn't learn this in So climacteric fruits, um, they enter their climacteric phase after harvest, which means they continue to ripen. Right, okay, so yeah, fruits like bananas would continue to ripen after after harvest, and non-climacteric fruit would be fruit that just stagnate upon upon harvest, so they okay. don't yeah, they don't course. harvest any further. So if you're putting if you're putting climacteric fruits next to each other, they're actually encouraging them to to ripen faster. faster so yeah. these are again, this is oral history. This is this is looking to the past for helping for the future. There is there is talk about and we talked about refrigerators and we talked about refrigerators. Um, letting us know when things are going wrong there's a there's a company out there who's talking about creating climate controlled containers that sit on your countertop so moving away completely from this concept of one sole refrigerator but actually containers that that, hmm. that sit on your counter and and They're control just, for just specifically for whatever whatever food that is so can you I mean, just think into the future can you imagine you know you've got mushrooms in a shelf in a cupboard in its own in its own container that's holding it at, at its most um prime and just sounding just trying to imagine all this i'm seeing a lot of you know sleek surfaces a lot of boxes and containers in a really really big dry storage <laughs> if we're going to be freeze drying everything fermenting everything pickling everything um it's just going to my kitchen's going to be a little corner and a, a an entire kitchen that once was would be dry storage <laughs> One induction burner and then just shelves everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, of storage, we haven't gone into this this con this concept of packaging and yeah. and waste yet. So what does that look like for the future of the kitchen? 
I mean, I think if we're going um, on the side of technology right now again and how we are going to be using Bluetooth or some sort of smart technology smart technology to let us know what comes in, what is moving out, um, inventory, when you're going to pull out a recipe, if you can program it to know that you use two tablespoons of baking soda and it eliminates it from your invoice or sorry, not your invoice, but your spreadsheet, then we're actually becoming a little bit more organized in that sense. Um, what do you think, Monty? Yeah. I mean, um, there's, there's technology out there where, um, when you go shopping, you carry a scanner on your phone and you're basically scanning the product. And by the time you're finished with your shopping in your cart, you you can go right out to your vehicle and you've paid for it. Um, there's, there's technology with, uh, like what Jason was talking about, with refrigeration and uh, monitoring everything in your refrigerator. Um, there, with waste... I mean, a lot of kitchens are starting to get into automatic composting systems where they compost all their waste and they they basically turn it into like a chaff where a local farmer would pick up the chaff and use it further or getting it waste in their gardens. Um, it reduces waste. It reduces cost. Um, you don't have large bins outside anymore for your product to be picked up. Um, it, it's a win-win. Yeah, I do see the efficiency of a kitchen in the future, minimizing packaging, just from knowing what to order, ordering less. If your inventory is very regulated and structured, if we're moving towards um, even minimizing the shopping because you can you can use a gun down the road to walk around the aisles figuring out what you need. I just feel like it might come to a compact, comprehensive printout that says you don't need any of this and you might need this and if you can store and freeze dry everything at home one day you are also not going to be shopping as much um and looking towards sustainability and big companies they usually tend to go where consumers are start the trends are moving and if we are buying less and we were wanting to keep it longer i would imagine that also pertains to packaging what what a concept though home inventory control yeah, right. yeah. You're, you're shopping, and and do I need orzo? Have I run? Have I run out of parmigiano? I, you mm-hmm. know, to, just yeah. just to know. Um, there's a there's a new store in Toronto called Unboxed, where you can go, and the premise is you go to the store and you purchase your own goods, but you take your own containers with you. Yeah. So they don't That's provide brilliant. any containers for you, Love and this it. is like multi olive oils um cheeses meats have a great meat section and but for your grains you know you show up you weigh your you weigh your jars and they weigh and then they weigh them out for you so it really Um, requires you to plan ahead and not buy more than you need mm -hmm. because you are only typically what they're encouraging is you to reuse your old bottles and old containers so if you really only have a 500 mil old jam jar and you need to get orzo you're not going to be superseding that amount either so i do really like the reusing the encouragement of reusing and recycling your products at home but also that you will not buy more than you need if it's by the weight yeah you're right about that with packaging is going to be um, one of the number one issues for the future because of cardboard boxing plastics um, it's going to be I foresee within 20 years, it's going to be eliminated. And like you said, we'll have to use our own own packaging that we reuse back and forth at the stores. Yeah. Um, 
wholesalers are going to have to use their own containers and bring it to the restaurant or the yeah. supplier and drop it off, pick up the containers again and reuse those containers instead of boxes. That sounds like we'll be reshaping certain businesses right now that are being are that are very affluent, mm-hmm. such as the good food boxes or even Uber Eats or exactly. food delivery systems, because all of that packaging that is being used, their main model are disposable packages. Yeah. Um, it's great. It encourages people to cook at home again, the good food boxes, but then the packaging that's remaining is really bad. Is yeah. excessive. You need one clove of garlic in exactly. a bag. <laughs> but then on the on the other side, the other online affluent food with the Uber Eats and the Foodoras, they are not encouraging you to cook at home, but encouraging you to eat at home, I suppose. But you're always left with extra napkins, extra cutlery, styrofoam mm. containers. Um, so if we're going towards minimized packaging, do you, what do you uh, see these companies having to do? Yeah, I definitely see um, something like that. I mean, whether it's uh, they send it in reusable containers and then when you order the next one, they pick up that older one mm. and they bring it and they just keep on swapping it back and forth if you're a regular customer. So this is leading up from from restaurateurs and chefs requiring from your purchasing managers that these things yeah. are part of your sustainable your sustainable requirements at your restaurant. So to try and remove um, to try and remove boxes and plastic and garbage that's just going to to waste and not being recycled. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Now Weird concept here. What if I told you that there was a fork that let you, that notified you when it was time to slow down? I could believe eating, that. Yeah. Eating? Yeah. yeah. So it calibrates my metabolism for me? <laughs> yes, that's my, yeah. There's a lot of personal factors that go into that. Can you that. get different voices on it? And the, <laughs> like the Terminator yeah, or something? Did you, want it, did you want it to be your mom? Monty, yeah. you've had enough. <laughs> Stop. There's no dessert for you. <laughs> So, <laughs> so the happy fork has been created. Um, yeah, happy and fork. happy fork, and it it lets you know when it's time to time to slow down. H I P I fork. You can see it at the show notes at at the end. Eat slowly, lose weight, feel great. Wow, seems like negativity. Yeah. I don't need in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, even if you're eating fatty foods, yeah, slow it down. Slow it down. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, and speaking of the future design of kitchens, we do have to think about the actual food or product that's being created. We've kind of went around a lot of processes, but nutrition and health are definitely going to drive forward our design. And Mm -hmm. the fact that this fork is being created is Mm -hmm. directly reflected to that concept. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything's going, and that's where packaging and labeling all began was when we started using packaging as a marketing standpoint of this is lower in cholesterol. This is lower in sodium. Um, how would we sell whole foods? How about we sell just whole foods and not need the packaging and the nutrition and content anymore because it is what that food product is or the whole product is. So we are, I mean, then we're going back to not needing fridges and freeze drying everything and yeah, space, space, space. Yeah. So kind of final thoughts on, on this one, Wendy? Uh, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I'm definitely going to be a huge proponent on fighting history and fighting culture and making everyone keep looking back just to honor the traditions that brought us here. But I am always somebody that's excited for progress. Great. Jordan? 
Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see how things move going forward. You know, I think you're going to see a whole new era of convenience. But I like we've talked about with, with automation, and it's a problem in all fields. I think it is going to drastically change. I think the education people coming into this field are going to get and kind of how people need to change their outlook going forward as to how they can improve themselves in a different side of things, much more technology-focused and less about, as we said, the hard skills and the craft itself, which, you know, not everyone's going to be happy about, I guess, when you think about the pride that people carry in this industry for their ability to, you know, perfectly chiffonade or something like that. (laughs) You know, when you have a machine that can do it for you, you kind of lose a little bit of that that kind of fun, lighthearted competitiveness I think a lot of kitchens get with the skill challenges and things. But, you know, it's going to be a different landscape in, in 10 years or so, I think. That's a good word, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm always excited to see new technology, new products, um, new innovation and new thoughts, like, uh, because we're always taking the old from the new. I still go back to, um, having to just do the slow cooking and getting up in the morning and just start prepping and just listening to some music and, and playing and then taking a break and then in the afternoon, open up a bottle of wine and then keep cooking and then everybody gathers and then they sit down at a table and there's a discussions like there's no phones out. I mean, that still, I hope that never leaves. When are we coming over for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> what music do you listen to when you're prepped, Monty? Um, yesterday I was cooking away and I started, I was like Italian opera. That's what, nice. and I just cranked it yeah. and I just was Beautiful. in my own world, just cooking yeah. away and just uh, playing. When I, when I you cook know. Italian, I like to play arias, famous yeah. arias and just you know, the crescendos just rise. Yeah. It's just very, very inspiring. I usually do also like if I'm cooking Mexican, I'll put yeah. some salsa on or something. Great. <laughs> yeah. be inspired with the cuisine, you know. Jordan, what was the last meal that you made that you're proud of? Last meal I made that I was proud of. That I was proud of. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you're a culinary student. <laughs> uh, let's say last Friday must have been, or maybe it was last Wednesday. I did a lovely uh, spaghetti carbonara with some fresh pasta from St. Lawrence Market, some guanciale, some truffle pecorino, uh, and just some parmigiano reggiano as well. I think when do we have to start asking, requiring our guests to come in with some of their I food? Think so. <laughs> podcast potluck you know that's it we'd like to say thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us um we'd also really like to send a shout out to joy wen who is a librarian here at uh, gbc who helped us with a lot of the research on this Mm -hmm. thanks so much joy pleasure having your your assistance excellent thank you for listening to the chef pod and tune in next time where we talk about celebrations from around the world thanks a lot everyone have a great day thank you thank you